welcome to today's conversation about life and social change in Central Asia. My name is Bermet Talant, and this talk is hosted by Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. Water is arguably the most important resource in Central Asia. It is vital for agriculture that feeds and provides livelihoods for the region's predominantly rural population. And it is vital for hydropower stations that generate electricity for domestic consumption and export. According to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, temperatures in Central Asia are rising faster than the global average. Scientists predict that the region, which is so dependent on water, will become drier and more parts of it will turn into deserts. Glaciers are melting at unprecedented speed. Over the past five years, Central Asian countries have already seen some of the worst droughts, which caused shortages of water for irrigation, hydropower, which in turn was followed by soaring prices on food. And in 2021, the deadliest border conflict between Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan in years started as a water dispute between local residents, although other factors played role too. Today, we'll be talking about social and economic impact that these environmental shifts are already having on local communities and how they can adapt for what's coming in the future. We have with us Shahzoda Alikhanova, a specialist in natural resources management from Uzbekistan, who is now doing her PhD in the UK, and Sher Hashimov, a journalist from Tajikistan. Great to have you both here today. Before we continue, if you have a question or a comment, you can press request in your Twitter mobile app to speak up and we'll bring you in. Or you can send a direct message to at RFERL or reply to a tweet pinned in this space. Sher, I would like to start with you. How is the weather in Dushanbe these days? Uh, hi, Bermet. Thank you so much for uh, having me on today. Uh, well, it's very hot. It's been uh, over 40 degrees Celsius in Dushanbe this entire week. Um, the entire month of June has been having very unusual weather. Usually it doesn't get that hot in Dushanbe. Um, and we also had a couple of weeks of uh, unusual rain, uh, all of which I think points to a changing weather patterns uh, in Dushanbe and around Tajikistan connected to climate change. Mm -hmm. um, has it been like this over the past few years, like early summer being very hot? No, I mean, Tajikistan does get hot, uh, over 40 degrees. Um, however, all of that happens mostly in July. Um, this is pretty unusual. The, the change is not that big on paper. It's only a difference of three, maybe four degrees uh, from the usual average in June. However, the actual um, not on paper effect of it is quite palpable. Mm -hmm. Shahnoza, so we just heard Cher talking about scorching temperatures in Tajikistan. Similarly, there are reports of temperatures over 40 degrees Celsius in Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan too. Is this going to become a new norm? And what are the other weather patterns and events that signal that climate change is gaining pace in the region? Hi, Bermet. Um, um, yes, um, the climate is really changing, I guess, in Uzbekistan, because the number of uh, extreme weather events um, increasing um, drastically. It's been, I know that it's been, um, I'm away from Uzbekistan these days, but it's been very, very hot. Uh, when it comes to um, direct, uh, tangible results of climate change, we can definitely say that the precipitation patterns have changed. So spring was, um, 
very, very rainy. Um, and summer, again, was extremely hot. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Any other, you mentioned extreme weather events, so it's just... Too much rain and a lot of precipitation. And yes. heat okay, yes. okay. Sher, so what are the effects of climate change that are particular to Tajikistan and how does it affect the lives of Tajik people? I think the biggest one is the melting of the glaciers. I'm sure you and our listeners know Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan are very reliant on, on glaciers for, uh, for irrigation, for electricity production. Uh, in Tajikistan alone, 93 to 95% of the country's electricity comes from hydropower. Uh, and all of those hydropower plants are uh, based on glacier-fed rivers. Um, however, the glaciers are melting away uh, since 1930. In the past 90 years, Tajikistan lost about a third of its glaciers. And according to some uh, calculations, Tajikistan will lose another 30 to 50% of existing glaciers by uh, 2050. And the effect of that can be felt already. Uh, several years in a row, Tajikistan is facing uh, electricity shortages because the country's water reservoirs uh, cannot uh, find enough water to fill up and to produce uh, the usual amount of electricity. Uh, we are seeing uh, droughts. We're seeing uh, mudslides connected to you know, the increased melting of glaciers, which means increased uh, flow of rivers, but very unpredictable flow of rivers. Um, all of these are the clear uh, effects and impacts of climate change. Mm -hmm. Well, in, in Kyrgyzstan, we've already seen some terrible mudslides and, and increase in mudslides and floods lately. And they actually forced some people um, to move homes, uh, to move to other countries. Um, is internal migration caused by this environmental changes an issue in Tajikistan too? Uh, the effects are not that visible yet. However, it is definitely going to be one of the consequences. Uh, people from rural regions will be forced to move to urban urban regions um, just to have better access to electricity, better access to water, to, to food systems. Um, there are people um, migrating from the, the higher, the, the highlands, uh, from Khorog, from Darvaz, uh, because the weather patterns and water patterns uh, in the highlands are becoming uh, more and more unpredictable. And all of that is going to get only worse, unfortunately. Yes. Um, as I was preparing for this talk, I was reading the World Bank report released last September. And it forecasts that Central Asia could see as many as 5 million internal climate migrants by 2050, which is a crazy big number. Um, Shahnoza, I will ask you the same question. What is the biggest threat from climate change to Uzbekistan? Uh, I would say that, again, the biggest climate change, not just in Uzbekistan, but across Central Asia, is water resources shortage. Just because we are a downstream country and we are highly dependent on water resources and Uzbekistan doesn't actually generate uh, water. So um, mm, water resources... Um, crucial for agricultural production and I would say farmers um, that um, in this case would be the most vulnerable and they would be those who suffer most actually just because um, 
drought events um, increase, the number of drought events increase, and this definitely has its implications on crop yield. And um, I know that there are different reports saying that uh, crop yields across Central Asia are expected to decrease by um, 30, even 40 percent by mid-century. And also, um, I would say that the frequency of disaster increases in Uzbekistan as well, as well um, in terms of the number of landslides, mudslides, just because I, as I mentioned, precipitation uh, patterns change and landslides, mudslides mostly occur in the mountainous areas, while drought events and extreme weather events occur in um, lowlands and desert areas of Uzbekistan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sher, you've done quite a bit of reporting on the subject. Do people in Tajikistan link these extreme events, droughts, floods and mudslides, which are becoming regular to the global warming? For the most part, unfortunately, no. Um, there has been some uh, programming in uh, mountainous uh, communities in Tajikistan uh, that ensure that the local populations there are more aware of uh, sort of the larger picture and how the climate change is impacting uh, livelihoods and what they're seeing around them. But however, for the most part, I don't think um, people in Tajikistan understand uh, the links with climate change. And I don't think they understand how climate change is going to impact um, electricity production in Tajikistan. Uh, part of it has to do not only with the lack of knowledge, but also with the lack of transparency on the part of the government. Uh, usually when um, the country's energy systems face water shortage and they are uh, forced to shut down electricity access to certain communities in Tajikistan, the government uh, just tells people that these are uh, system maintenance days and you should gain uh, access to electricity back in a few hours, maybe a few days, but the government never acknowledges the larger systemic issues behind this electricity shortages, which prevents people from understanding how it's all connected to melting glaciers and climate change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very interesting. Shahzoda, is that the same in Uzbekistan? What are the public attitudes there? Um, I'm not quite sure what uh, general public thinks because I'm, I have never seen such surveys or reports about public opinion towards climate change, global climate change or regional climate change or even local one. But I've seen uh, and observed a number of people who express their opinions towards uh, recognizing global climate change and, the, uh, and connecting it to the RLC catastrophe. You might uh, know that the RLC, um, like uh, three, four decades ago, uh, when it still existed, it used to be a local climate mitigating factor. um, And people recognize these days that due to shortage of uh, water resources and shrinkage of water bodies, they do recognize that climate change definitely has its implications and and they are tangible. Mm-hmm. Just just a quick reminder to our listeners that if you'd like to ask a question or you would like to share your opinion on the subject that we're discussing today, you can indicate that you want to speak by pressing the button in Twitter spaces on your mobile app. Just make sure that your mic is on or you can send a direct message to at RFERL or reply to a tweet pinned in the spaces. 
Um, so Central Asian states are among the countries with the lowest carbon footprint. Tajikistan, Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan combined contribute about 0.5% of the global carbon emissions. Yet we are facing the worst consequences. So a question to you both. What can local governments and communities do to adapt and prepare for the change of climate? And is there a way to maybe mitigate it? Um, let me start maybe on this. Um, of course, there are measures uh, to mitigate and to adapt to climate change consequences. What the governments can do is um, to focus on um, turning uh, sec economic sectors to be more green or switching to say circular economy, which reduces impact on the environment and reduces uh, waste generation, which is also a contributor to global climate change. Um, and also um, when it comes to Uzbekistan, for instance, um, which is um, the GDP of the country's uh, highly dependent on agricultural produce. So switching to more sustainable agricultural production could be uh, an issue, uh, sorry, a key in addressing this issue. Okay, so and for instance, what would it be like currently Uzbekistan grows cotton, which is, uh, which consumes a lot of water, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yes. what would be, could you give us some examples, please? For instance, well, Uzbekistan has made a lot of effort in reducing the areas under uh, cotton production and uh, um, switching to less water-intensive crops, which means crops that require less water during the production, which, use, um, which would uh, make farmers use definitely less water, and also um, switching to um, drip irrigation system, for example, could be an option. Um, this would help save water um, and um, like there are different options again um, in, in various sectors um, for instance we could uh, urbanization in Central Asia is also growing um, in Uzbekistan as well and we could make we could still make this sustainable by planting by increasing green areas and planting more trees because you might know that uh, for instance, the surfaces, um, the temperatures of the surfaces with uh, green areas and without green areas, sometimes like the difference is almost 10 degrees. I mean, where we have uh, trees in the cities, um, we have uh, less um, heat waves, we have more, um, we, we kind of contribute to um, improving the local microclimate. So there are different options, again, based on the sector. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cher, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, well, first of all, Shazoda laid it out perfectly, um, updating agricultural systems in Central Asia and making them uh, more sustainable, making them more efficient is going to be key. Uh, the irrigation systems in many places in Central Asia are very outdated and they, they require updates. Um, tree cover, as Shazoda mentioned, is going to be very important. Dushanbe, the capital of Tajikistan, is undergoing a rapid urban transform transformation, has been undergoing it for the past seven, eight years. Um, a lot of the old low rises in the city are being torn down and uh, 
in their stead. Uh, they're all these high rises, glass high rises there are going up. A lot of trees are being cut down and all that is just not sustainable in the local climate and in the face of climate change, this uh, high rises, this glassy uh, towers, uh, they require more cooling. They are just not good for the local uh, for the local climate. And then when you cut down the trees, if you look at the satellite images from just 15, 20 years ago, you can clearly see that the tree cover in Dushanbe has been decreasing, which is exposing people to heat and to the rising temperatures. Um, yes, it's a, it's a similar pro problem in Bishkek. Exactly, and in Tashkent, as far as I know. Um, Tajikistan needs to diversify its energy portfolio. As I already mentioned, up to 95% of the country's electricity comes to from hydropower. Uh, unfortunately, um, our hydropower systems are they are vulnerable to climate change. So we need to diversify our energy portfolio, bringing solar, um, maybe start working with Uzbekistan, because Uzbekistan, as far as I understand, uh, produces a lot of electricity using natural gas. So importing electricity from there could be important. Um, on the larger scale, regional cooperation is going to be very important as water resources decrease in Central Asia. I believe we're going to see a lot of conflicts similar to the one that we're seeing on the border between Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan and north of Tajikistan. A lot of it has to do with the local water resources, and we're going to see more and more of that as climate change um, uh, you know, starts showing its effects. Yeah, progresses. So last year, the Kyrgyz president, Sadr Japarov, attended the United Nations Climate Change Conference in Glasgow um, and actually saw it as a very positive move. And I personally would like to see more cooperation between our states, you know, rather than disputes, kind of working together on behalf of the whole region, since we are in it together. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I, as I mentioned, regional cooperation is going to be absolute key to ensure that uh, there are agreements in place that you know ensure fair, uh, sustainable um, access to water resources for the entire region, um, ensuring that energy trade is enabled across regions so that you know Tajikistan can uh, make up for its uh, you know for the vulnerabilities in its hydropower sector, um, so that. Um, you know, Uzbekistan gets something in exchange. Uh, basically, uh, we need to start working together as a region and not this uh, collection of five different states. Mm -hmm. Yes, I absolutely agree with uh, that uh, regional cooperation is key to addressing uh, our emerging environmental issues because um, climate change has uh, does not recognize any political boundaries. And we, uh, as nations of um, Central Asia, as, um, as residents of Central Asia, will have to face those issues despite our um, ethnicity or religion or the country we reside because um, the, the, the issues that these countries are facing are almost the same. And um, addressing them should be um, through cooperation and in unity. Mm -hmm. So a recent study published in the Central Asian Survey Journal highlighted a lack of research on climate change in Central Asia. Do you have any more information on that? Well, I would say that research um, in Central Asia 
not just on climate change and climate issues is lacking, but research is, um, um, in my personal opinion, is quite underdeveloped, to be honest. Um, as a researcher myself, I quite often have to read through different publications and I have to do that in English language only. And for instance, local languages, not even to mention Russian language uh, sources, um, they just do not publish much. Or maybe the information is quite outdated from the Soviet times. I do not know the reasons to uh, w why this is an issue in Central Asia, just maybe because we had some brain drain that happened like uh, several decades ago, right after the collapse of the Soviet Union, or maybe there's um, difficulty in equipping uh, academic institutions or uh, attracting um, researchers to them. Maybe there's an issue with funding and financing. Um, yes, but I would agree with the statement that research needs to be developed. Mm -hmm. And local research, right? That's what you local mean. Local research, research and all across Central Asia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Cher, do you have an opinion on that? Yes, uh, Shazoda mentioned earlier, uh, she and neither have I uh, seen any sort of large scale uh, public surveys about what the public in Central Asia thinks about climate change. And that's actually one of the uh, larger holes that was identified in that paper that you're talking about, uh, one of the, the holes in the scholarship on Central Asia. We don't have any large scale studies about the public perception climate change, of the risks of any links that public sees between climate change and, uh, you know, the changing landscape in Central Asia. And we urgently um, need to address uh, these issues. And um, I think all of that, this, this lack of scholarship about climate change in Central Asia just shows how this, um, this focus on securitization of Central Asia, on Afghanistan, on uh, radical Islam, um, there was just too much focus in, uh, in scholarship on Central Asia on those issues. And it's kind of coming back to bite us in the butt, so to speak, uh, because so much of the scholarship has been dedicated to this sometimes overblown issues of uh, radicalization that we haven't been focusing on things that are much larger and much harder to control. Mm -hmm, like climate change. So Shahzada, um, when we talked with you before, you mentioned kind of a, sh a shortage of scientists, like the existing, I mean, at least in Kyrgyzstan, the existing scientific corps are kind of aging Soviet era scientists and young people um, are, rather, are either like rarely have opportunities or are not interested. What sparked your interest in environmental science and what was your path like? Um, so, okay, um, are you interested in knowing my background or what made me decide towards research or? Yes, well, why, okay. why, how did you, how did you become interested in environment and environmental science and natural resources? Um, well, I think just like any other person who gets interested in any other sector, I think it was just passion that drives me. Uh, forward. It's passion for my profession and passion for people and passion for conservation. 
I was when I was like 16 or 17 years old um uh I was I I graduated from um I finished school when I was 16 and I, mm, s I started uh, doing my bachelor's in uh, economics of engineering which is completely different field and it's not related to environment and biodiversity at all but um when, as I grew up and started noticing things and the disaster that the country and the population of the region of the RLC were facing, my interest was uh, growing in this sector. And um, you might know that it's uh, quite difficult, if not to say impossible, to change direction in Uzbekistan. Uh, for instance, if you started e economics, then you have to finish it. You cannot just switch to another sector. So the only option for me was to um, study abroad and completely change um, the my background, educational background. Um, I, yeah. So what, what's your research in? My current research is on the RLC area, on um, identifying nature-based solutions uh, to improve the environment and the lives of the population in the RLC region in Uzbekistan. Cher, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. are you planning to do more reporting on climate change in Tajikistan? Absolutely. And uh, we're going to see more and more uh, effects of climate change. And we're going to see how, uh, you know, the, the migration to urban areas is going to grow and there's going to be more strain on food systems. Uh, and I'm definitely interested in covering those issues. Uh, sort of similar to Shah Zoda, I, I studied public administration and public policy in the U.S. for my master's degrees. However, I was always interested in energy shortages in Tajikistan because uh, when I was growing up uh, in Tajikistan in the 90s, we constantly faced uh, electricity cuts, uh, especially in the winter, two, three months at a time when you would have only a few hours of electricity a day. And so ever since I was a kid, I wanted to know how our energy systems uh, work, which is why I focused on uh, energy systems in my public policy program, uh, which now informs uh, my reporting on climate change in uh, Tajikistan and Central Asia. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe we have um, a person who wants to speak up. Just a second. This is Jan Murtazashvili. Jan, are you with us? Yeah, um, this is such a great discussion. And I'm so grateful that you're hosting it because it's so important. And I just wanted to share a comment, an observation, and maybe just a question uh, based on this issue of research on climate change. And, you know, I could be wrong about this, but, um, you know, over the years, I've dealt with a lot of engineers and scientists. Even like 25 years ago, um, there were scientists I was working with in Uzbekistan who were developing solar panels. Um, and this was a, you know, the, the, the government was investing in this in like the state committee for science and technology. And I feel like the local scientific community, like the STEM science community is aware of the issues. They're measuring these issues. But this community has never been trained to communicate this in terms of like public policy. There are 
I don't think there are any environmental policy programs in the region. Share, you know, you mentioned that you you have a master's degree in public policy and public administration, and there's just such so few of these programs. And I think one of the key issues is that the ability to communicate like the scientific knowledge into policy. One of the things that's really missing is this policy education, which could be a bridge between the science, the scientists and the scientific knowledge that, that does exist. And then the policy community that can sort of interpret this and um, communicate it. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or whether I'm, I'm wrong in my observation. Who wants to take this question? I, I know. I think I agree. I um, even from a, from a recent example, and, and Jen, it's uh, it's such a pleasure to have you here with us in this space. Um, observation from my recent travels around Tajikistan. So every time I come to Tajikistan, I like to spend as much time in the mountains as I can, hiking, backpacking. And a couple of valleys that I like to visit, they um, they have media stations there. Um, and they're staffed by a uh, couple of men from, you know, from the Soviet times. Uh, those couple of guys, they have been at those media stations for 30, 40 years, you know, leftovers from the, the, the Soviet uh, scientific community. Um, and they're there because they're there for so long because, first of all, um, since the Soviet Union uh, fell apart, uh, there hasn't been enough um, – you know, educational training to sort of bring up a new, younger uh, generation of scientists who could do this kind of work that these guys are doing in those media stations. Um, and another reason is that because, you know, through their, you know, 30, 40 years of being at those media stations, they sort of develop what Jen is talking about. Uh, they not only have been trained as scientists to, like, collect the data on the changing weather patterns, on the changing glacier cover, but also through 30, 40 years of uh, working in that field, they developed this ability to communicate their findings in sort of this plain language to uh, to politicians, to technocrats in uh, you know development organizations, to local communities. You know they uh, they're they're seen by local communities as people who actually understand what's happening with their rivers, with their um, you know with their like places where their sheep can, you know, find grass and things like that. But um, unfortunately, there are no people like that in Tajikistan who have the scientific understanding, but also this ability to relate their findings to local communities in a simple language and also relate their findings to politicians, to NGOs, so that uh, they can act on uh, policy together. So the scientific community is very much disconnected from population and politicians disconnected understaffed underfunded you know it's it's obviously an issue connected to brain drain it's an issue connected to um you know lack of economic development and lack of revenue on the part of the government that would allow the government to invest in uh, scientific institutions uh there's obviously issues of uh you know um suppression of uh, scientific research in Tajikistan. There, there's a lot mixed in in this issue. I think this is also uh, partly an implication of uh, economic crisis that Central Asian countries had to face like 30 years ago, right after the collapse of the Soviet Union. 
Um, you might know that Soviet Union heavily um, funded research and development. And um, while at the beginning of the 1990s, uh, Central Asian governments were just um, neglecting science just because there were not enough resources to find them. And suddenly uh, this sector turned um, to be not the most lucrative one, which is why I believe most scientists even abandoned the sector and switched to quite uh, different professions just to make their, uh, as, as a source of income, which is why uh, for, for a couple of decades even, science was quite underdeveloped, um, particularly in Uzbekistan and some other Central Asian countries. But I think that the situation is gradually improving these days. And I've seen... Um, quite a few trainings where scientists um, were uh, trained and taught how to transfer their knowledge uh, to policymakers through involvement in different um, uh, strategies, uh, country strategies, development plans and development strategies. Uh, but there's always room for improvement, of course. Okay. Um, I think we are a little bit short on time. And since we don't have any more questions, we're going to wrap this conversation up. Thanks to our guests. Um, I remind that today we had Shahzoda Alihanova from Uzbekistan and Sher Hashimov from Tajikistan. Thanks to our listeners and thanks to Arhirel for hosting it. We will return with a new talk on July 14th. And your feedback is very important to us. Please help us improve this series by sending your suggestions or ideas for topics you'd like to hear about. You can DM me or at RFERL. Have a good day.